five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, and we're going to be talking about dun da da direct mail today. <laughs> I even got my USPS golf shirt on. See that? What do you know? Along with my glasses hanging there. <laughs> I got these are my stage glasses, right? And uh, so, if you want to support the fight for direct mail every day, then get over to WDMA.org and we'll sign you up and you can support us with some tangible love and encouragement. Anyway, let's watch the trailer. This is the Indiana Jones movie, which I haven't seen, but let's see how the trailer... Indiana Jones! Fuck me, he's died. I've been looking for this all my life. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. This Friday... This is gold. Ancient gold. His final adventure... What that? ...will be his greatest. Come on! This is it. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Okay, and so we get over to the news, and what we find is that this could be the greatest stinker ever. <laughs> Indiana Jones... Uh, five set to be the biggest flop ever. Now, what's really interesting is I was watching some stuff, some news shows about Disney, and you know, there's two extreme views, uh, and I try to get a lot of views. I uh, went over to NPR and read an article, and it talked about how the biggest box office hits of all time, you know, three of the top five ever are Disney. And that this one is, you know, it's it's projected to do a billion dollars or something like that. Uh, but the other article, which had um, talked about the stock price and some other stuff. Okay, so here's the stock price, February of 2021, uh, post-COVID, uh, is up at 189. And now it's currently trending at 86, <laughs> which is a pretty good drop. You know, and so the question is, I always ask myself, well, when the news is bad, should I buy some? You know, are there fundamentals that are going to keep it going or are there fundamentals that are eroding the value? Right. That's the kind of questions I ask. And don't take this as stock advice by any means. <laughs> OK, but uh, the. The, the truth is that this is a, a low for the last few years and it's down, you know, it's worth less than half the value that it was a couple of, uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago. And um, the Disney parks, um, they said that they had the worst 4th of July weekend in the last uh, 10 years, uh, that even COVID was better than now. Um, so they held an emergency meeting uh, as anxiety uh, has increased, high anxiety among thousands of employees. Uh, and so Bob Iger set to, set to uh, I didn't underline that very nicely here. I put these sh show notes up every day over on WDMA.org. So uh, you can read them for yourself. You can see what I thought was important. You can, if you've got good if you've got a good PDF editor, you can even take them out if you like. Or there's usually links to the art, the real article. 
Um, but he says linear television may not be core. Linear television is code for cable TV. Um, cause there's a line and it comes to your house and that's, don't ask me where they got that as opposed to broadcast. Now, um, and they have, they have, uh, stake in, um, CNN's reliable sources newsletter reported Wednesday. They have cable networks such as ABC, the Disney Channel, uh, National Geographic, and FX. There was a video at the beginning of this article, and they said that Disney Channel has lost uh, lots of subscribers. And so, um, you know, I know that they have a stake in ESPN, I think is owned by ABC. I hope that they divest themselves of that. I've been I've been complaining about that. I've now learned to use MLB for watching the baseball game cast, um, you know, the ongoing score and shows the pitches and all the different stuff. Um, Because uh, ESPN, for years I've been suggesting that they let me tell them what sports I don't want to see. And it's quite a long list. Not that I'm against these sports. I just don't care, right? I don't care, you know, women's beach volleyball. A lot of men are interested in that, not me, <laughs> just not. I don't know any of the players or any or anything. Don't just don't care about it. And, uh, um, you know, I don't follow hockey. There's a good there's a good sport, but not not interested. I do follow the Premier League um, and they do have that. But there's probably a hundred sports that they cover that I don't want to hear about, and they put them sometimes right at the top. Uh, they just had the women's NCAA baseball championships featured day after day after day, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. So if you're going to care about data, and that's what I want to talk about today, I want to talk about data and how to care about data and how to look at data. Then um, it's interesting because NPR talks about total gross sales, uh, whereas the article and the, or the video that that's hiding under the stock chart was talking about what it costs to get to 300 million in sales. So the much touted um, sleeper hit, uh, if you want to call it a hit, is uh, the uh, the Call of Freedom, I believe is the name of it, and it's doing just past 100 million today. I saw, but um, Indiana Jones is at 300 million. You say, well, that you know, NPR it says much better hit. But what did they pay to build to make it 300 million? They made it, so they haven't even broken even on the filming expense, and then they usually double that budget for the uh, for the promotion expense. So they paid some 300 million just to get it into the into the uh, studios. I think that that um, Sound of Freedom was was owned by Disney, and it sat around for five years. They didn't want to release it because of the content, apparently. So anyway, they finally got it released, not by Disney, and um, they didn't promote it at all. I don't think it had any kind of promotional budget. And just, you know, people, word of mouth is what they were hoping for. And um, But Indiana Jones is projected, according to that analyst, to lose $300 million in in gross profit, I would say you call it. So having the pr- proper perspective, you know, yeah, they're generating a lot of revenue, but you know, if you lose a dollar on every order, you can't make it up on volume. Um, so it's a big company, and they're looking at the wrong things. Now, here's another article that's kind of that way. Four things marketers need to know about direct marketing. 
Um, every marketer worth their salt is constantly analyzing consumer data. And I would say not necessarily. A lot of times you want to be analyzing customer data. Right? What is that telling you? And to tell you the truth, most, most data is worthless. Right? Where's my book? I don't know. Spinning straw into gold. I just got a note from, from Amazon that they're sending another check. <laughs> I've got to go look up how much those checks are worth. It hasn't impacted me uh, that I can tell. Anyway. Uh, they all send me a note saying a check is coming, and they don't tell me how much, but, and they t don't tell me exactly when, but it's going to be next week sometime. It's like, well, why don't you tell me how much it is, or why don't you tell me after it comes so I can go look for it, but I can't look for it yet, so by the time that all happens, I don't know what's going on. So, uh, so Arthur here says, uh, the challenge of making sense we're constantly hearing about the challenge of making sense of nonstop flood of data. And the answer is, you can't. You can't make sense of a nonstop flood of data. So how do we see the forest for the trees? The answer is, by setting up scientifically valid experiments. We'll get into that in a second. Okay, the answer is not to step back, way back. The answer is to set it up in the first place. So I got called into General Motors for the their... Uh, GM credit card years ago, and uh, they, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. EDS actually brought me in, and I said, you know, I've been taking the Sandler sales course, <laughs> and they always said, well, why am I here? Because, <laughs> you know, I thought they were the smartest people, and so then I asked that question, and it used up an hour and a half. I was trying to kill the day and hope I didn't say anything stupid, you know, um, which turned out to be probably true. But, well, maybe not. But anyway, so uh, so they went around the table saying that, you know, they thought I had maybe the best insight into data of anybody they'd ever heard of. And uh, they were looking for help. They had 100, 250 geodemographic characteristics for every GM credit card holder. And uh, after we went around for a while talking, I said, well, what do you really want to know? <clears throat> and they said, what we'd really like to know is who would have bought a General Motors car without the $5,000 rebate. So that's a big rebate. You know, you could accumulate points and you could get $5,000 off your next GM car. And some people built that up faster than they expected. And, <clears throat> and there is a way we could have established a baseline. We could, have, we could have looked at prior data and said, you know, what's the recidivist rate? What's the re rebuy rate uh, on General Motors cars? You said, okay, so, you know, two-thirds of, two of your customers buy again pretty much no matter what and then we could have compared it with the five thousand dollar rebate and did that actually raise that percentage that would have been a way to it's not the best way because conditions change through time your market might be aging maybe they're when maybe when they're retired they don't they don't go buy the new car anymore i know a couple of friends of mine are buying used versions of the of the vehicle they always owned and bought new so there's some trends that can happen, and that's why it's not perfect, but it is a start. But that's not me. I'm I'm just shoot from the hip. And so I said, oh, what answer would you like? Which was the wrong answer. And they said, well, we, you know, we, we thought you were a data guy. We thought you were going to analyze everything and give us, you know, give us the, the truth. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to do that. But the truth is you should have set up an experiment. You should have set up 
you know, some of the some of the buyers get the rebate, some of the buyers don't. And what is head to head? That what is that? What is that answer? That's the real answer. But instead, you went out and broadcast it with the launch of the credit card that everybody gets a $5,000 rebate. So now you've poisoned your own well as far as the data goes. You don't have the data to answer that question. And they looked at me really funny. Like I said, I probably could have danced around that one a little better. But, um, but that's the situation. The situation is we're trying to find data that's meaningful for questions we didn't anticipate and don't have and haven't produced the data for to answer and that's the real problem and that's why we're going to get over to that um but uh quad survey which i'm going to cover next it's about 14 pages and it was only 800 consumers and 200 marketers but um consumer younger consumers find direct marketing to be useful i doubt if any direct mark any Younger consumers know the term direct marketing, and if they do, I don't know what they think of it. Maybe it's farm-to-table farm marketing. <laughs> That's what it's most commonly used for if you search on it. Um, so I'm guessing that they are using, Arthur is using direct marketing and direct mail interchangeably, which I object to as the president of the Wisconsin Direct Marketing Association, because if you go back to my seminal work on the definition of direct marketing, direct marketing is testing. It's setting up valid experimentation and building a self-learning system. Okay, And if you don't have that, you can do all the mail you want and you won't have any more data than the mass media people do. Okay, But if you do set it up right, then you have something. You can set it up right, which the others can't do. They can't really see the null set compared to the... Uh, the, the no's who engaged and didn't buy compared to the engaged and did buy. That only Mayo offers. Uh, and then Quad does their usual multi-touch personalization pitch. Um, direct mail hangs around. 46% of consumers say they saved a piece of mail because it contained information uh, I intended to use to follow up on. Right, direct mail does not throw itself away. So anyway, this is a much better article by Craig Huey, Death of Direct Mail. Um, sometimes I, I'd like to look up Arthur's background and see if he has actually a, a direct mail background, but I don't know. I don't expect that he does. Uh, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Mark Twain's had famously said, many think direct mail is dead. Um, presidents of companies and even marketing directors are making tragic, strategic, and tactical mistakes of thinking direct mail is ineffective and useless. Direct mail done right has dramatically changed in the last 10 years. What has changed? Well, first he says transaction data modeling. Now, mind you, we've been doing transaction modeling since 1995. I've done thousands and thousands of models, millions and millions of pieces of mail into those models. And uh, so it's not in the not last 10 years. And it's most of the stuff that's done isn't done very well. We've beaten... We did 11 head-to-head -head tests for Musician's Friend against eight different modeling companies and won them all. Uh, we've won a lot of head-to-head -head tests. You can test your modeling, actually. I highly recommend it. Um, but with TDM, which is Craig's word, uh, you, can, you can identify buy-alike, not look-alike prospects. Well, the problem is with this word prospects. Okay, you know what the customers bought. And I've done it in the rich environment of cataloging. 
Craig down at the bottom lists a dozen or more of his good clients that have mailed millions and millions and millions of pieces. I didn't see maybe more than one that was a catalog company. Why catalog data is better? Because we have the richest environment. We have uh, Cabela's had about 50,000 SKUs at the time that we could analyze. <clears throat> and so we could tell the difference between somebody who bought one fishing lure and somebody who bought uh, a whole uh, a whole fishing lodge full of <laughs> equipment, right? And, uh, and so we could really tell what was going on. We could tell nuanced data in, in, inside of the what did they buy. Cabela's, on the other hand, had, had they bought fishing or had they bought hunting. They might have bought thousands of dollars of hunting and one fishing lure, but they were equally marketed to. And so we fixed that. Um, but the word prospect here means they haven't bought. Okay, they haven't bought. <laughs> so we can't use their transaction data because we don't have transaction data. We might have it for someone else. And so some people go to Wyland or go to um, Abacus, made this famous, uh, Wyland actually uses, I believe uses the Abacus data. Um, and so we have some limited purchase history, but it's usually uh, very categorical, very generic, uh, and it can still work, but you could do that all the time. You didn't have to do that um, before uh, the last 10 years. So I'm not exactly sure what Craig is talking about here, um, but I do know that if you if you have first-party data available, it can increase your prospect universe. Now, it can also decrease it. depends on how you use it. One of the advantages, the biggest advantage in my book of transactional modeling, uh, data modeling is that you can... Uh, is that you can you can essentially test you can essentially test the impact of variables of hundreds of variables of which 30 or so will rise to the top and be useful in the model and you put them actually put them in the mail and then you can see in retrospect you can actually see the impact of those variables and that is the best part of transactional data modeling and the other thing he said we're able to identify the perfect prospect as never before well it may be as never before but Perfect prospects, there's no such thing. There's only better and worse lists to try. But some do 95% better. Yes, that's always been true. So, I, you know, I'm all in it with him. I just, uh, it's just, it sounds like magic, and that's the way marketers want it to be. And actually, you know, Dick Cabello is one of the best at, at asking me what I was doing and understanding, wanting to understand it. Uh, never had a, another client as good as Dick Cabello, I don't think. So the other thing is you can do integrated marketing, and we've talked a lot about that. The Postal Service offers informed visibility so that you can see when the mail hits and you can email. Uh, if you have a customer email, uh, you can rent lists with email included, but those tend to be compiled lists, and then you don't necessarily have all their transaction information. Well, you never have all of it, but you have some of it. Um, and so uh, you can also upload mailing lists to Facebook and Google Ad Network, and you can put a banner ad up on their phone when the mailing hits. So there's a lot of things you can do. Most people don't do it. Most people don't even know all of the things that are available. But uh, Craig then lists all the places where mail is growing and that he's doing well, and I appreciate that. Uh, none of it is listed as head-to-head -head tests, but he does mention those regularly, so I commend him for that. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye. Get this down here. That's I like that.